Welcome back to another episode of Upstate Anecdotes. I'm one of your hosts, Caroline Pruitt, here with another story from the South Carolina Upstate. Like, I love trees, and I'm an admitted tree hunter. So this year, shortly after I announced I was going to Furman, my uncle, Andrew Predmore, announced he was leaving his job as the Director of Sustainability at IU and moving to Greenville to work at Millican. Of course, I was incredibly excited, almost excited as he was when I told him I was going to be a co-host on a podcast about sustainability. And it was then that I knew I had to get him on the show. He has such an incredible passion for the outdoors and for sustainability. And for Andrew, his work for sustainability truly is a labor of love through and through. Andrew grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, right down the road from Greenville. And as a kid, he described himself as a sports fanatic, but not necessarily great at sports. Like, good at sports. Like, he was a good athlete, but not great. So, so I played basketball and played tennis. Tennis got to be pretty serious. But the other big interest of mine was always, like, anything outside. So, I grew up doing a lot of fishing. My dad was, um, I'd like to take my brother and I up to uh, Pisgah National Forest up in North Carolina. So, we would go up there a lot and do day hikes we'd go up there and do backpacking like overnight trips he took us out west several times on multiple week adventures ah. and so those were and backpacking was involved so we went to Yellowstone we went to Grand Teton we went to the Sierra Nevada we went to uh, Dinosaur National Monument we went to just all over wow and so that's maybe part of why I'm interested in environmental issues and sustainability issues is because like I just I, I sort of grew up caring about those things. Mm-hmm. So. Was that like a camping or like RV sort of situation? Well, definitely not an RV. It was, <laughs> it was either car camping, you mean like pulling into a campground and camping and then we'd explore from there, or backpacking where you're, you're putting your tent and your oh sleeping bag and everything on your back and your food and going into wild places for sometimes several nights at a time. And I did that at the age of eight. Oh, my God. So, my dad was a little bit, um, like, now as a dad, I think, I was like, man, my dad was kind of nuts. <laughs> like, I wouldn't take my eight-year-old. But yeah. We, we, went, we went, like, I think when I was eight, we went into the Tetons for two nights, and it snowed, oh. and we saw moose. It was awesome. <laughs> That's intense. But it was kind of intense. And that was something that was fun for you. That wasn't like, oh, God, my dad's making me go to the Oh, no, I loved it. I loved it. I would do that all year Mm -hmm. as a kid if I could have. I was obsessed with mountains and hiking and, um, yeah, the wildlife. Mm -hmm. I was always interested in the wildlife. Like, so when we'd go on those trips, I'd learn about moose or wolves or black bears or grizzly bears or whatever was where we were. I just found that interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Spartanburg, and then were these trips, were they like a summer thing or like winter break? Or? Yeah, they were a summer thing because my mm-hmm. dad was a professor, so he he would sometimes teach in the summer, but he would mm-hmm. often get some good time off, and that's when he would um, take my brother and I and get out of my mother's hair and take us on these <laughs> long adventures. What, and so what high school did you go to? I went to Spartanburg High School. Were you guys the Spartans? Was that your... The Vikings, strangely. Oh, okay. <laughs> now that I say that, sort of. But yeah, went to Sparver High School. And then for college, where'd you go? Then I went to uh, University of Virginia. Um, at that point, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I took that time to take 
lots of classes and lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, did take some environmental science classes. In fact, I remember being introduced to the idea of climate change in an environmental science class. I didn't end up as an environmental science major. I ended up as a um, government major. But huh. I took some classes that were interesting. I remember charting, like, like this is, like, handwritten, like, on graph paper. Like, I think um. it was... Uh, parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere and temperature. Wow. You know, and, and the professor was showing us how that was going up, and this is in the um, late 90s. Yeah, so... So we've known about these problems for a while. <laughs> <clears throat> but... Wow. So. And... So what were your initial thoughts after? Were, were you like... That didn't... I mean, that had, this an, or like, this is like that had topic. an impact on me, but it was... It was it, at that point. It was um, it wasn't introduced as like, oh my gosh, we have this grave societal problem. Right. It was more of uh, sort of like a, hmm, this is seems to be happening and could be a problem. That that was kind of how it was introduced. So I remember it, but I don't remember it like if you were to take a class now in college on climate change, right. the way it would be introduced is hopefully dramatically different and more <laughs> urgent. Right. Right. But yeah, I didn't end up. You know, I was interested in politics and government and thought I might go to law school, so that's why I ended up majoring in that, but um, didn't end up doing any of that, really, but mm-hmm. um, that's okay. where I met my wife. Um, we got married a couple of years after we graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Auburn for a master's in um, forest ecology, so I was sort of more on the kind of biophysical side of things, earth sciences kind of side of things. I did enjoy that, but I published like a first like paper, like in a peer-reviewed journal, and I was always like really disappointed that no one read it. Uh-huh. Right? Like it's cited by like three people or something. You know, like why do I do all that work? It's not having any impact. And so I've always been sort of driven by like trying to be impactful in my work on sustainability rather than just doing the academic work. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I did go on. Then after that, I went to Virginia Tech and I was a professor for a while, but I always always cared about impact. Like, how can I be impactful, not just teach, mm-hmm. but be impactful? And so I, I went to Indiana University and eventually became the director of sustainability there. And so that's like trying to take a kind of like a small city. It's a big state school with over 40,000 students and a lot of faculty, a lot of staff, and it's embedded in a community and trying to help move that community towards a more sustainable community. It's a huge, enormous challenge, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but, but, and then from there, I took a job here at Milliken in Spartanburg, mm-hmm. and Milliken is a um, large manufacturing business, global manufacturing business that um, does, has some healthcare products, a lot of textile products, flooring products, and chemical business. So I'm um, trying to make that business more sustainable, right? So reducing the, the greenhouse gas emissions um, related to the manufacture of those products and looking at water consumption and looking at things like human rights and environmental justice and like all of those things businesses are now increasingly responsible for, ethical businesses are. And Milliken certainly strives and is an ethical business. Mm-hmm. So when you um, worked in Indiana University, what was like, what was some of the main projects you undertook there? Mm. Well, 
when I first started, we did a lot of um, what they call like using campus as a lab. So there was sort of an educational component. It was like this whole community is a laboratory for learning it. So why don't we have professors and students do work around our energy and food systems and transportation systems? So I was doing a lot of like facilitation of that. Mm-hmm. But later on, when I became the director, it was actually trying to change those systems. So um, I worked a fair amount on lead buildings, which is like a green green building standard, um, leadership in energy and environmental design for buildings and new buildings. So I did a lot of work around that. Did a lot of work on food systems, um, food waste is like, there's a book called Drawdown, which is a basically a huge list of all the ways you could tackle climate change. And food waste is like, I think it's number four on the list as one of the most impactful things that we could change. Wow. To reduce food waste would reduce our uh, climate change impact. So we were doing a lot on sustainable food. Um, and then as I was um, later in my time there, we I became the university director of sustainability where we, I was in charge of all the campuses the sustainability effort on all the campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are multiple campuses of Indiana University. We were trying to standardize how we did an inventory of greenhouse gas emissions. So we needed to get really good at measuring our impact when it came to climate change. So we were working on that and standardizing that so that we then could uh, do something about it. So those are the big projects. Mm-hmm. Lots of work, though. And those are just the things that come to mind. So how um, how is your job different at Millican than it is at IU? Um, it's mainly different because what's going on. The drivers of change, like in higher education mm-hmm. and sustainability, are different from the drivers for change in corporate or sustainability or in the business world um so the differences are the context Mm -hmm. so um like in higher education like why would you why would you try to make indiana university more sustainable well there are lots of reasons like there are ethical reasons right um faculty would like to see you know a lot of faculty are teaching around those issues so they would like to see the university also um do good work right to to actually uh, uh put those things into practice um, students wanted to see it in some cases, like see change and see positive momentum. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the drivers, uh, like on the in the higher ed context. But like in the business world, there's also I guess what you call like public pressure a little bit. But there's also um, pressure from uh, supply chains. So mm-hmm. Milliken sells products to other businesses. And if those other businesses want to see us improve, like perhaps like the, the greenhouse gas emissions related to our products, uh-huh. then now we've got to try to do better. And that means that we have to speak to our supply chain, right, about how they could do better. So it becomes sort of a, a holistic change in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also different like theories of like, they call it stakeholder capitalism, where businesses aren't just about the bottom line, like, um, it's not just about profit, but it's also about serving society. And yeah. I've seen, um, and so we need to think about the health and wellness of like our our the communities we work in, are the people that work for Milliken. It's just slightly different context, but the the work is similar in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you, you can't you can't make change around things that you're not measuring. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, like so where we had to work at, at IU on measuring greenhouse gas emissions, we're doing the same kind of work in the business to make sure that we're we're measuring those emissions well and then we can start to do something about them. Very mm-hmm. similar in that sense. Also like there's a lot of like metrics and reporting. Mm-hmm. Like like in higher ed you report to something called STARS, which is a, a reporting framework that says how is your university doing in sustainability. There are multiple frameworks in the uh, corporate sustainability world that are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And the reporting is really important because it, it forces you as a business or as an institution of higher education to look at how you're doing in all these categories. Look at how much water you use, how much greenhouse gas emissions per student, how much waste are you generating, how much are you recycling, how much are you composting, how much, you know, uh, how are you on human rights, how are you on pay equity for between men and women, like, like it, like all these questions that come through these reporting frameworks right. help drive change because you have to answer those questions. So they're very similar in that way. Well, jumping into Greenville a little bit, what are three words you would use to describe Greenville? <laughs> Probably better three phrases, but... Better? Um, three, three phrases are fine. I would start with, with beauty or natural beauty. I mean, one of the reasons I'm drawn to this area is... It's, it feels like home, it looks like home, mm-hmm. and it's pretty in that sense. Like in the upstate, you have rolling hills and uh, beautiful trees and forests and like biodiversity, you know, particularly as you head up towards the mountains, like if you get into the northern part of Greenville County, mm-hmm. I love it. Up there I love highway, like Highway 11 and like Table Rock State Park, and I've been doing some hikes up there. So I just love that, like that is, striking to me it also just feels like home because i grew up doing that kind of thing so that's the first thing that comes to mind um i would point out the downtown of greenville is really like i it's vibrant there's your second word right okay so um i like that i think they've done a nice job like speaking of sustainability that what is it is it the reedy river that runs yeah falls park yeah, I just like how they've sort of, a lot of communities historically sort of turned away from creeks and rivers, yeah. and, and there were places to sort of dump our waste and use the water, and I think um, communities increasingly are like turning to them as like an aesthetic and uh, resource and see how important they are, and I love that Greenville has done that, I think it adds to the vibrant downtown, mm-hmm. so I like that, we've been down there a few times and have enjoyed you know, getting something to eat, just kind of walking around down there. And I think that's really smart and is a cool part of this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope to see more of that. So those are two really positive things. Um, I'll leave with, I'll end with one that I don't <laughs> like as much, which is traffic or congestion. Yeah. Slash urban, suburban sprawl. I mean, those are all connected issues. I think the city is needs to... This is just my opinion. I, I like we, we're it's and I'm guilty of this too. It's too automobile centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, like everything is built around the automobile, and gosh, it's frustrating to get around Greenville sometimes in an automobile. Yeah. Um, like if I got to take my kids to practice of this or, or school for that or whatever, it can be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I think we need more uh, dense, connected, walkable, bikeable sub-communities like or communities within Greenville yeah. uh, and that will improve 
I think quality of life. Because mm-hmm. who wants to sit so much time? Spend so much. I mean, I like my car, but I don't want to spend my time sitting in my car. Right. It's not good for quote the environment, right? Yeah. Or sustainability. Like we're just. Yeah. That would be my one like ah. I don't. I don't like this. I. I know that Greenville is, is probably working on that. I, I, I'm hopeful. Right. I make that drive to. I hope that there's some good, smart planning happening because it also jeopardizes what I think a lot of people love about living here, which is the natural beauty. Like, we don't want to turn this place into a um, cement and concrete jungle. We want to make it a beautiful, lovely place to live and keep it that way. Mm-hmm. So that with that comes some trade-offs and some choices, and that happens through planning, typically. This idea of well-thought-out urban planning is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. In his work with preservation, my grandfather, Joe James, from the last episode, also talked about the importance of preserving wildlife and nature, specifically for the growth of chestnut trees. And I wanted to hear more about this sort of integration between nature and city that Andrew was so interested in. You know, I do think more sort of equitable transportation, right, where the automobile isn't always prioritized over other ways of getting to and from places is a a starting point. You see, if you, if you, um, if you look at Europe and some of the things that they've done, or if you've ever been to Europe, it's just really different, right? Like, like I remember I spent a few days in uh, Hanover, Germany, and the number of people biking into work was unbelievable and they had a a road that went kind of into the center of town and the space given to bikes and they also had like a really great train system and um so so if you you know if you could bike part of the way or you could take the, the the train part of the way, then you could hop on a bus and make it the last little bit of the way or walk. It was just smart, right? Mm-hmm. It was better use of space. It was actually easier to get around. I don't know. I think there's a quality of life piece to that. Like, it's not just to protect the environment. It's like, make us all healthier and happier. We should look at some of those cities as a model and think about what's possible here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People can still, I'm not like against people having their cars, but like, Let's figure out a way where we're less, a little less reliant on them. Cars are also expensive to own. Gas is a lot right now. The automobile itself is a lot, and there's a lot of impact. Like, so there are smarter ways for humans are smart and adaptable. Right. I'd say let's think about how we can adapt and be better at getting around. After all this being said, I was still left with one question. What's the most important thing we can do to create a more sustainable world? And his answer was kind of unexpected. So you're asking, like, if the listener cares a lot about sustainability, then what would I recommend that they do to help move that along? Yeah. I used to think about this a lot as a, like, in my old job, Mm -hmm. because I would get asked by students that question, like, I care about this. What can I do? Right. And that's a good natural productive question mm-hmm. so I think about it a lot I think in the sustainability space you hear a lot of like well just don't eat meat and why don't you recycle everything and why don't you compost and hey Caroline why do you drive your car around so much mm-hmm. and you know it gets very like personal individual uh-huh. and I think 
it's true that all of us can probably do better, myself included. But I think to overly focus on that is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Because we are all embedded in a great big system that needs change. And transportation is a fer- perfect example of that. Like, I can't just magically walk to the grocery store. If there isn't right. a grocery store nearby and there's not a bike trail or good walking path, what am I going to do? I'm going to get in my car. It's because I'm embedded in a system that's built around the automobile. So all that to say, my answer to your question is, like, if you really care, you need to be, like, sort of, frankly, politically active. You need to make sure that your voice is heard in, in our political system that gives rise to the, the food system, the transportation system, the energy system that we all inherit. Right. You know, use democracy as your tool uh, to, to sort of help advocate for the world you want to see. I think it's, it's a big mistake to just put it all on the individual and their behavior. We've got to change systems. And, and also, if you look at climate change, like all the science says, we got a decade to really, like it's an urgent challenge. Uh-huh. And so we're not going to get there by turning the lights off a little bit earlier or not right. getting, like that's not the change we need. What we need is more renewable energy on the grid. I mean, we also need to turn the lights off. Okay, so I'm not saying that, but so hear me correctly. I'm not saying right. all those things aren't important, but the big, higher-level, systematic things, mm-hmm. don't forget about those of, like, students, people that care should use their voice, myself included, probably. Uh, we got to get involved and, like, help create the, the sustainable lifestyle systems that we want. Can't just hope for it or complain about it. Don't just sit there and think about, like, oh, I can't eat meat and... Oh, I'm going to drive my car less. I mean, do those things. Right. I'm a believer in those things. And they do, like, cumulatively. They make a difference. But form groups, organize, go to the state house. Go to, you know, like, yeah. like if you care about these things, make your voice heard. Mm-hmm. Go to, like, city council. Go to county council. Like, engage in democracy. Like, that. That's where the, that's where the systematic change will come. It won't, it won't come from just doing the right thing personally. You can think about sustainability in some ways that maybe people typically not don't. They think of like, oh, it's it's all those tree huggers trying to protect the environment. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm a tree hugger. Like, uh-huh. I love trees and like, I would, you know, I'm a tree, <laughs> I'm a tree hugger, okay? So I'm an admitted tree hugger. But let me say this to you. Like, this is like, the planet's still going to be here. Like, whether we do anything about the problems that we have, Mm-hmm. The planet's going to be here. What's in jeopardy is is like a nice, livable, sustainable planet for people in human civilization. Right. That's what's that's what's at stake. Not mm-hmm. like I mean, yeah, polar bears are at stake, and other you know, there's a big biodiversity crisis which I personally care about. Mm-hmm. But we also have have issues with like what's going to happen with climate change. Is it really? is we, we're already feeling the effects and those effects continue to rise. Well, it has health impacts, right? We're going to have more mosquitoes earlier in the year and more ticks and more diseases associated with those and the allergy season has extended. And Like, I hate to hear be like the apocalyptic like visitor on your podcast, right. but like, these are human problems. These are not like tree hugger problems. You see right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, and there's also like who wants to pay all that money to fill up your gas tank? Like, maybe we should think about, like, energy independence and more renewable energy, mm-hmm. not being dependent on fossil fuels for everything. Like, maybe we should really encourage solar 
in homes and make sure that all the all the state laws and legislation really really encourages that right makes us more resilient makes you more like independent and in control of your own well-being and i think southerners and south carolinians like that right should like that so like there's a a whole other side a whole other way of framing sustainability Mm -hmm. i think the young people can help with that and it's it's your world that you're that, that you're inheriting right and um so speak up about what you want. <clears throat> we want a livable planet. We want a high quality of life. It's not all about jobs and money. But I'm a tree hugger. That was a fun question. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> did, has your work in sustainability, all the job, all the projects you've undertaken, does this leave you with a sense of inspiration and hope or more, is you, is you more pessimistic? Is it more of a... Probably depends on the... I've, I've felt this a lot, like, in my old work at IU, that there were a lot of students that really, really cared, and that always gave me hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think joining Milligan, which is just got awarded, like, uh, for the 16th year in a row, like, world's most one of the world's most ethical companies. Wow. Like, there's, there, there are a lot of good people working very hard. Mm-hmm. To try to change the course, right, towards something more sustainable. So that always that gives me hope. There are a lot of really, really smart people working on it. What causes some despair sometimes to me are is like misinformation, purposeful misinformation that causes people to not understand kind of where we are at this point in history and what needs to change. Right. Because I think if, if we had sort of a shared understanding of the reality that we're in, it would be fairly easy. Like, even people with kind of different values and different beliefs would still see that, gosh, I do want to leave a livable planet for future generations. I, I think that's important. Right. But when we don't agree on facts and, like, just the objective reality of the world, then it gets hard to find consensus and do good things. Mm-hmm. So that would be, like, <laughs> currently, that's kind of like my source of despair. Right. Right? But the hope is that... There are people, really smart people, organizing and working and caring, like, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness for that. Um, so it's a mix, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Depends on the day. How much coffee I've had. <laughs> what side of the bed I woke up on. Yeah. Um, I think people, I have noticed that people who work in sustainability do have to, like, watch their mental health. Yeah. Because it can be kind of like a... Like, if you're, if you're really in that space all the time, thinking about, like, oh, we got eight years to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 45%, and you realize where the planet is, like, where are we with getting that done? It can be hard, like, we're not doing so great. Yeah. It's a hard place to work in sometimes. But the sustainability community tends to be kind of like a, a very supportive. People that have chosen to continue to work on it, even if it's hard. Yeah. And those are people. So Earth Day was about a week ago. The thing I love about Earth Day is the way it seems to center everyone around a common goal. A beautiful world that is sustainable enough to stay that way. While it's often the poster child of individual fixes, walk to work, skip the plastic straw, recycle your Coke can, it's a great day to find everyone on board with protecting our planet. These small changes, unplugging your electronics or starting a compost pile one day a year, may not be enough to create change in the environment, but it's a symbol that we haven't given up, and I think that's essential.
And I also think that this attitude leads pretty naturally to, to more systemic change. So maybe in celebration of Earth Day, call a representative, write a letter, educate yourselves and others, and understand the power if you have in this fight towards a more sustainable future. and I'll talk to you later.